1: thought to myself I don't want to be Muslim Uh, so I put away all the books but one of the uh, when I was doing that a lot of books fell off the shelf and one of the books that fell off the shelf was the Quran and when I picked it up my uh, hand was on Surah 22 um, Ayat 46 and um, it says it's not the eyes that are blind but the hearts.
2: The rise of the right across Europe is a worrying trend For over a decade, several suited yet malign individuals have sought to capitalise on the failures within liberal capitalist societies. Often, figures like Geert Wilders in the Netherlands and Douglas Murray in Britain have placed Islam as the enemy within, pitting the West in an existential crusade against Muslims. Those who follow my writing on the issue know that these often slick politicians utilise thinly veiled dog whistles, to ferment hatred in their populations, channelling the inevitable attacks and even atrocities against ordinary Muslims on the street, or as has been demonstrated in New Zealand, in killing sprees where lives are shattered. This white nativism, a racialized identity that sees migration in general and Muslim migration specifically to be the source of Europe's decline, is growing in momentum, and as the global recession develops, it is only likely to rise. Yet amid this trend, Allah ta'ala finds ways to change the hearts of men. My guest today, Joram van Claveren, knows full well about the far right in Europe. This is because he was one of them. As a leading member of Wilder's Dutch PVV party an MP in parliament, he argued for a Netherlands without Islam. This was until he decided to write a book to attack Islam and his research ultimately led him to embracing the faith. Today he calls for Europe to reconsider its irrational hatred against Muslims. I asked Joram to tell us about his story and explain how the far right functions and the challenge Muslims in Europe and beyond face from this phenomenon. Joram van Claveren, assalamu alaikum wa It's a pleasure to have you on the Thinking Muslim podcast. Uh, yeah, well, it's,
1: it's a great honor for me to be here. So uh, thank you very much for the invitation.
2: Well, no, khair. I've, I've been waiting for this interview uh, for some time because I really feel that uh, you will be able to give us some understanding of the emergence of the far right, not only in your country, the Netherlands, but also across Europe and what this means for Muslims living in the continent. I know a lot of my listeners are quite worried about the rise of the right. And uh, of course, many of the Muslim communities across Europe are disempowered. They don't really have the tools to deal with these trends. Um, a lot of these communities are first or second generation communities. They tend to come from uh, the uh, the working classes and so they don't seem to have the tools to deal with these emerging political trends. And I, I really would like to get your perspective as an insider, really, or someone who was an insider, probably, uh, uh, and, and how you, you feel our community can best uh, deal with this trend. Now, some of my listeners will not be aware that you are uniquely placed to give us a better understanding of these trends. Um, can you please tell us about your background before you embraced Islam?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, uh, I used to be a, a member of the Dutch parliament and I was, uh, I was a spokesman on the topic of Islam for the Freedom Party and the Freedom Party uh, that's like the, the most anti-Islamic nationalistic party in the Netherlands, perhaps even in Europe. Um, and perhaps some of the listeners uh, saw the party His name is Geert Wilders, is the guy with the blonde hair. Yes. Um, yeah. So I was, uh, yeah, I was like his, uh, I was a personal friend as well. But I was also the, yeah, what they call here the crown prince. <laughs> hmm. uh, so I, I was uh, the guy who, who spoke for the party when it came to topics of Islam, integration, immigration, oh. uh, subjects like that. So, um, but in 2014, I left the party. Um, and I was there from 2008, 2009. And first, I was a policymaker uh, behind the scenes, so to say. And after that, I became a member of um, uh, the city council. I went. I was uh, the leader of the provincial states here for the Freedom Party. And I ended up in um, in, in parliament, in the national parliament. There was a rally in the election time, and he said 100,000 people. And he asked them, "Do you want more or do you want less Moroccans in the Netherlands?" And everybody starts screaming less, less, less. So it was kind of a twisted scene. And he said, well, i make that happen if people vote for me. Uh, but I was the spokesman on this on this subject, of course. But I wasn't there in the same city. I was in another city where we also had our own constituency, so to say. And uh, so I, I asked him, what is this? Is it something new? Or Because, of course, I was very anti-Islamic, but I wasn't per se, anti-Moroccan or anti-Turkish or anti-Belgium or whatever. Hmm. So he said, well, yeah, this is something new. Uh, and a lot of people don't know, but there are people with an, uh, Turkish or or uh, Moroccan or even Afghani uh, background hmm. who work for the Freedom Party. Of course, they're not right. Muslims. They're, hmm. Most of the time they're ex-Muslims. Or they were raised in a very secular way. So they don't have anything with Islam uh Perhaps only the think that their grandparents were Muslim or something. Mm. But they're very anti. So, uh, But they were, uh, in a way, of course, our friends. Because we we fought the same fight. And I told them, it's, it's kind of a betrayal to say, uh, we want less Moroccans in the Netherlands in general. Because we have people working for us as well. Mm. And he said, well, that's, in a way, collateral damage. Mm. Uh, and I said, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not in the, in, into the very ethnic thing. Uh, yeah. It's more I really hated Islam because of I thought it was a dangerous uh, ideology and uh, all the things of terrorism and uh, well perhaps we will talk about that later. Yeah. But so it was it wasn't a, an ethnic thing for me. It was really an ideological thing. So we got into this. At in the end, I said, well, you have to change it, otherwise I'll leave the party." He said, "Well, I don't think you will leave the party," but I of course left the party. And then I finally had the time to write uh, an anti-Islamic book, and it was like a, like a whole long-held desire of mine because normally when you're in politics, it's only one-liners. And I wanted to explain in an academic way why we as the Freedom Party or me as a person thought that Islam was very dangerous, why I thought it was something bad for society in general. And uh, But I, of course, uh, you don't have the time, first of all. Uh, and then uh, Wilders was uh, the only person who wrote books on this topic. He was, he was in a way the poster boy of the anti-Islam movement. So. Yes. Um, But now I I was uh, free in in that sense. So I thought to myself, well, I started writing this book. So I started Mm -hmm. writing. But during the writing, and I give you uh, the the short version, otherwise, we don't have enough time, I think. Um, But during the writing, uh, I came across so much information that was at odds with the things I thought I knew that it changed my perception. And I, I wrote to hakim Murad, uh, Sheikh hakim Murad from Cambridge University. I asked him a lot of questions and I, I put a little link of my Wikipedia page, which was also in English. Okay. So I thought, because I didn't want him to have the feeling that I was tricking him or something. But I, I wanted to have uh the correct information, because of course, when I would publish a book and it wasn't correct, yeah everybody would start laughing of course, because he doesn't know where he's talking about so <laughs> i thought um i have uh, I have to ask Muslim scholars as well, of course, and he is of course a big scholar so i I asked him uh, about a lot of things and he said to me well i i, I can answer you but uh, if i answer you you have to read these books these articles etc etc so that's what i started doing and it took me uh it took me <laughs> a long time but in the end it it changed my perception in such a way that um yeah, I, I start admiring the Prophet. It's not so much Islam, but more the life of the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, and the way he dealt with a lot of issues, social issues, but also the few that I had from my own religion, because I was brought up in a in a Protestant uh, tradition, and the Protestant tradition I was from, it's not so much that my parents taught me to hate Muslims or something, but I was kind of a nerdy guy, so I read a lot of books. And when I was reading the books, from the the big names of this tradition like martin luther and and Kelvin, uh, those persons were very anti turkish and anti islam and they even wrote um uh, about the prophet that he was like in a way the antichrist, so Dajjal himself uh, so that that influences of course uh, the way you think, especially when you read it as a youngster uh, so when i for the first time when I was reading the book of Martin Lynx. Uh, Life of the Prophet based on the earlier sources. It really changed the way I saw him because it was the first time that I saw him as a father and as a friend and as a teacher and as a statesman. Uh, So it 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 yeah, it it's changed my perception of him in such a way that in the end uh I I, uh, I ended up as a Muslim. <laughs> so this is a short version, otherwise I think it's uh it's taking too much of your time.
2: Well, I know it's it's an amazing story, and um and really I'm sure some of my listeners from around the world would find that inspiring. Um when you were in Git Builder's PPV party, you said you were a spokesman on Islam and um I suppose migration is a big theme, especially after the financial crisis in 2008. There was a, across Europe, uh, Islam and migration became a, a, a rallying call for the far right. What types of views informed your perspective on Islam? I know you talked about your upbringing and, and your Protestantism, and, and there was a subtle uh, anti-Islam inbuilt within uh, within your reading. Of some of those uh, scriptures and books, but you were with Get builders. Um, what were the main ideas that informed your perspective on, on what Islam and Muslims were
1: yeah that's a good question. Uh, well it, I think it's very important to have the, like a distinction between what the party said and what I believed right because I think in a way, I was even more radical than what the party said really right. and what, yeah because the party is a secular organization. Geert Wilders is not a religious person. And most of the people there, uh, let's say when I started, because the the party was founded in 2006, the Freedom Party. So I was there from pretty much the beginning. Uh, In 2005, I I already had contact with him. He's saying, well, I'm starting a new party, etc. And I knew him from another political party. And we were in the same political party before. It's the the party of uh, Mark Rutte, our, our current prime minister. So we were both a member of that party. Mm-hmm. So I knew, and of course, I was still a student. so I was young. Of course, uh, from a Protestant tradition, and he is from a Protestant tradition. Uh, and I was really religious in that sense. So I, like I said, I read a lot of books and it really influenced my way of thinking because for me, my whole journey and my fight in a way against Islam was, I had to do with, with religion because I thought, well, we have the truth with a capital T and Christianity is... Uh, is uh, under siege in a way. That's because of uh, secularism, but it's also, and I thought that was the biggest problem uh, Islam. Uh, so when I uh, joined the Freedom Party, it was for me, it was like, like also a religious duty to fight Islam. Of course, uh, the Freedom Party is a secular party. So there is no religion, a religious base or whatever in the party itself. So when he started it, it was from a religious perspective as well. Uh, but a lot of people in the beginning, they joined the party and those people were most of the time uh, religious Christians. Yeah. Uh, and one of them was me. <laughs> yeah. uh, so for us as a person, we had another drive in a way than that, uh, than the drive of the party. But in the end, we, uh, of course, we... Uh, uh, we linked in that way that we've both wanted to fight Islam. Uh, yeah. But what uh, And, and uh, a good example of that is the position of the Freedom Party when it comes to Israel and my own, because my own perspective had to do with theology as well, because in certain yeah. Protestant environments, you just uh, support the people of Israel because of some biblical texts. Well, that's another discussion, but that's why I thought we have to support the country, the people, etc. But the Freedom Party said, well, we don't care about your theology, we don't care about religion, we don't even care about the Jewish people as a Jewish people. We support the Jewish people because it's a proxy war. We fight against Islam and they fight our fight. So it's like a Western base in the Middle East. That's how they, they saw it. So." For, in the end, I said oh, well, I don't care. <laughs> as long as we do the same thing and when it comes to action, people with different mindsets can do and join the same yes. program in a way. Wow! Uh, but, but yeah, the, the Freedom Party was—it uh, was very strict when it came to, uh, to fighting Islam. They wanted to shut down all Islamic schools in the Netherlands. They wanted to ban the Quran. They wanted to shut down all yes. uh, borders for uh, uh, migration uh, migrants from uh, Islamic countries. Um, so it was pretty. Uh, Pretty harsh in uh,
2: in that way as well. Muslims, if I if I'm not mistaken, make up around five percent of the, the population in the Netherlands. Now, it doesn't seem like uh, there is a substantial constituency of Muslims uh, to have provoked such uh, animus against Islam. Why did uh, the party, the PPV party, have? S- uh, such hatred against islam and why the focus just on islam well i think
1: it has to do with history first of all because and that's not not only in the netherlands right. but also in i think in whole of europe especially in eastern europe hmm. because of the the history with the ottoman empire and there have been a lot of clashes right. of course between the ottoman empire and the West. And that's something you saw with um, the terrorists in new zealand in Christchurch as well yeah, the guy yes. who killed over 50 yes. people in the mosque and he had a rifle, like an AK something, and there were a lot of numbers on the AK. And, 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 uh, people in the news here said, well, there was, he, he wrote down how many victims he wanted to make. But people from the far right knew that there was something else because he wrote, for example, 16A3, 732. And those are the, the years of battles between Europe and Islam in a way. And 1683 is the last battle, of course, between the Ottoman Empire and uh, the Christian West, um, and the West won. And for some people in, in the far right, especially the extreme ones, um, they say, well, we're still in this war. And those were two battles, but we're fighting the third battle now. So that, that's why he wrote that down. And so um, it has to do with history as well, because a lot of people are living the past in a way. And because they see, well, Islam was the, the historical enemy. It's a threat. To so our way of thinking, our way of living, our freedom, etc. So that's one thing. Then, of course, you have um, a lack of information because a lot of people really don't know about Islam. And like you said in the beginning, I don't know if it was recorded or this our before. Uh, a lot of people came here in the sixties and seventies, um, but most of the people who came then, those people weren't scholars; they were just working class people. Uh, so when it came to religion, if people started asking questions or, or founding institutions when it comes to knowledge, etc., of course, that wasn't there. So the, the views here that uh, people have when it comes to Islam had to do with what they see on the news or with terrorism, because, of course, it is true there have been terrorist attacks in Europe. And if that's the only thing you see and you have this historical bias and it's a part of racism as well, of course, because most of the people who are Muslim or born Muslims don't look like native Europeans. So the combination of those factors make it, uh, that make, that they, that makes sure that a lot of people are very biased against Islam. And one, another aspect that's very important and a lot of people don't talk about it, that's secularization because secularization in the West, has gone up in an extreme way. But because of the secularization, people, uh, they don't understand religion anymore. They They really don't understand religious feelings anymore, and they don't have any knowledge about religion. So if you have a lot of people who became secularized over the decades, let's say the last five, six decades, and then there is this group of people who are still very religious, that clashes, of course, especially when it comes to morals and when it comes to uh, norms and what you think is normal and what the other person thinks is normal or what is important. And because, uh, of course, this talk is about um, the far right. But I think it's it's a problem on the left as well, because on the right, people don't like Muslims because of ethnicity or nationality and part of yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of racist. But on the left side, it's like I call it... Um, um, mental colonialism. They pet you like you're like a puppet. Oh, come here you poor little Muslim, we help you, we're the left, we give you some money, a job and whatever. But at the same time, you have to say, well, you're not really a religious person or uh, when it comes to women or when it comes to family or sexuality or whatever, you have to think the same as we do. So this as a Muslim, I think, and but it's my personal view, you're in between because both sides aren't really your friend in a way because they don't leave you with your own freedom to develop you and to live your life in a way that you want. Mm. So I think that's a big problem. And the, the the strange thing is that a lot of right-wing people, especially in the Netherlands, because the Netherlands is a very liberal country, right-wing organizations aren't conservative here. There's just one, yes, maybe two, who are conservative. But when it comes to the moral issues, like uh, the culture wars, as they say in the United States, uh, left and right are the same here. Right. So when it comes to sexuality, like I said, or uh, the family, or other, uh, except of those two parties here in the, in the Dutch Parliament, yeah. but most of them they think alike. So when when they attack Muslims because of uh, let's say traditional values, they do it both. It's the left and the right, hmm. but they just uh, they they just explain it in a different way.
2: No, I think that's very fascinating, and and often uh, Muslims across Europe when they feel. The heat from, say, the right, Uh, they feel that uh, their home is uh, with these left-wing parties. But as you quite rightly describe, uh, often the same sort of discrimination with a different logic uh, is applied to these parties. Now, Joram, you said uh, in an article that when you became a Muslim, it was like a religious homecoming to me. I I want to understand what went through your mind when you became a Muslim. Like, why, why was Islam so... Uh, natural for you when you when you embraced it
1: well as a youngster of course when you are 16 or 17 that's the first time for most people that you start perhaps a little bit earlier that you start thinking about who you are like like identity uh, development Uh, what do you believe why do you believe is there a hereafter Uh, politics whatever all those the the big questions in life in a way you start thinking about it and of course because i was from a protestant tradition and a kind of a nerdy guy like i said i I read a lot of books of course when you dive into christian theology you bump into the trinity and uh, when you go to church it's not that they talk about trinity all the time of course because it's a very complex and abstract concept so but i wanted to understand what i was believing so and when i was trying to understand the trinity i couldn't because I thought, I, I thought it was illogical. Because when you say you are God and you are man at the same time, well, that means that you are eternal and mortal at the same time. It's like like a s- square circle or something. So I thought it's, it's, not, it's not logical. And when you read the Old, and especially the New Testament, when you read the New Testament and you see what Jesus himself said about God, uh, then you see that he didn't say that he was God. Because in the end, there was this uh, uh, just a, a little story in the New Testament, and there was this guy who approaches Jesus, and he asked him, what do I have to do to gain paradise? How can I go to heaven? And Jesus says, well, there are two things, just two things. If you do that, then you go to heaven. But he says, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that, because people think it's easy, but it's very hard. First, and he says, uh, and then he repeats the Shema, as they call it in the Old Testament, and it's Uh, oh israel here your lord is one there's one god so it's like uh tawhid he says one god one god one god and he said the the other thing is that you have to treat your neighbor as you want to be treated yourself well if you do that really truthful it it is very hard of course especially the last uh, thing um but i thought to myself well if even jesus says there is just one god then perhaps there is just one god and not a, a the complex concept of three gods in one. So I started asking some ministers and I even went to a Catholic priest. Uh, and I'm from Protestant tradition. So it wasn't very, uh, it wasn't the normal thing to do, but I thought well, perhaps they, it's, a, it's an older church. Perhaps they have some knowledge I don't have. Uh, but they, they, they couldn't give me any satisfying answers. So, uh, there was one thing. And then of course you have the atonement. And you have original sin. And I thought, well, if you read the Old Testament, there is this part that uh, uh, the prodigal son, I don't know if you know the story, that there's this guy who leaves, uh, That is a father, he has two sons. One son is a very uh, good son and he does everything that the father says. And the other one uh, says, well, I want my share already. Yeah, when you die, I get my share, but I want it now. And if the father says, okay, if you want that. And he gives him the money and he leaves. And uh, he gets he's just partying and doing all these things. And when he comes back, he's very poor because he spent all his money. He did some stupid things, and he said, "Well, I'm I'm not worthy to come back in a way." But his father says, "When he comes, well, welcome. Let's celebrate. My son is back." So, Mm -hmm. and Jesus is the one who tells this story, Uh, and it's, it's in the Old Testament as well. But in the New Testament, Jesus tells the story. But I thought to myself, and he was just trying to explain how God is when people repent. So when you do Toba in a way, uh, you, you you say sorry and you well you 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 ask for forgiveness, etc. So, and he starts explaining this story, and I thought to myself, well, the atonement so that Jesus Christ had to die for the sins of man is almost contrary to this story because if you say God forgives, if you if you ask him for forgiveness. That's something else. And that you say, well, he has to kill his own son first. So those questions, <laughs> uh, I, I, I was very um, uh, unsatisfied with the answers I found in the Christian tradition. But of course, I was sixteen, seventy, maybe 20 years old later on when I reread everything. Um, but so I settled myself. I set it aside and I just live my life as, uh, as a Christian uh, person. But in the end, when I was starting writing my book, I was a little bit older. Those questions popped up again. So I thought to myself, oh, yeah, (laughs) those were those things. And I was reading the Islamic answers now. And of course, I knew it because I studied uh, comparative religion at the university. So I knew about the concept and I never uh, looked at it in 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 an existential way. So I never thought about it as the truth with a capital T. It was just an object of study. But now, because I was doubting my own Christian religion in a way, especially the core dogmas, I saw this tawhid concept. I said, well, it's exactly what Jesus said. And it's what the Jews believe. Because when I read the Old Testament, it's the same uh, Bible as the Christians have in the Jews when it comes to the, old, uh, the first part. Uh, I thought, well, that's more logical. So I thought, well, okay, I can embrace this concept of one God. Uh, but I was very glad uh, back then that I, there was still this distinction between me and the Muslims in the character and the person of Prophet Muhammad. Peace and blessings to be upon him. So uh the, the the first stage was me and I thought well so it's kind of Jewish in a way maybe Unitarian Christian etc so I was I thought was myself okay I can accept that but later on of course when I was reading about uh the prophet and his life and it was so yeah, it was so inspiring and the the things that he said and it was so contrary of uh, the things I thought that I knew about him and his life and the way his way of thinking and his his being, etc. So it, uh, he he changed from this crook in my head into this hero, and it's kind of strange, of course. And it took me a couple of years. It's not that it was uh, one day or the, or just a week, but it took took a long time. But in the end, uh, there was this uh, story about Hint and it was the story for me that was like uh, the switch. <laughs> Um, because, like I said, I thought he was like a crook, a bad man, a harsh, uh, uh, war-loving. Uh, but, of course, the story of Hint, and, and you know the story uh, a lot better, perhaps, and, and than I do, so correct me if I say something wrong, but uh, Hint was, of course... Uh, the wife of Abu Sufyan and Abu Sufyan was uh, was an enemy of Islam and an enemy of of the Prophet of course and she gave in a way money to someone to kill his favorite uncle Hamza in the battlefield and it was what happened and then they cut off his ears and his nose and they were start parading with his body parts um, and I thought I was reading this book and I thought okay where is the part because I thought I saw uh, Muhammad came into power in Mecca and but Hint still there so i said okay where is she crucified their heads get cut off or whatever uh and i was reading and then someone told him well hint is here as well and he said well i can i cannot look at her now but everybody here is forgiven so bloodshedding is over and if you want to stay here you can stay here and live uh, among the muslims if you don't want to be go and i thought to myself well that's so that's remarkable How? <laughs> how is it possible that the man i thought was like the antichrist forgives the person that kills his favorite uncle and we in such a way that in the end she even became a muslim so that was for me i was like well i think i got it all wrong so i started rereading everything again because i wanted to be 100 percent sure the end and i told it a few times now and it sounds a little bit like a fairy tale but it really happened in the deck here yeah you cannot see it now but there's this uh just like you have <laughs> like uh like a bookshelf and uh when I was, I thought to myself, I don't want to be a Muslim, mm. but I, I just, I figured it out. I said, okay, I think they are right, but I just don't want to be a Muslim because all my friends are anti-Muslim. I'm working for anti-Islamic organization. Now I'm in parliament because I was still in parliament as an anti-Muslim MP. Later on, after I left politics, I was working for a very Christian broadcasting organization. I was the voice of the conservative Christians on the radio here. So I thought to myself, all the family, of course, Christian, and a lot of people who were my friends were very secular, but nobody was Muslim, and they didn't have anything with Islam. So I thought to myself, that's something I don't want to go. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's the wrong direction in a way. Uh, so I put away all the books. But one of the uh, when I was doing that, a lot of books fell off the shelf, and one of the books that fell off the shelf was the Quran. And when I picked it up, my uh, hand was on Surah 22, um, Ayat 46, and um, it says it's not the eyes that are blind but the hearts no, no, no. and then I thought well that that is I think my problem <laughs> because it's not that I cannot see what I wrote down myself nobody forced me to write this book nobody told me you have to say this or and I wasn't threatened or whatever I just wrote it down because that's what I found out but I still didn't want to be a Muslim <laughs> so I knew the truth but I didn't want it so I thought it's not my eyes I I can perfectly see with my eyes what I wrote down I can perfectly see what is written down in the past by other people who know a lot more about Islam than me but I just don't want it so it's like your heart is closed so after that uh, uh, I did a little uh, like a dua (laughs) Uh, and I said, I don't really care if it's if it's um, uh, a god of the of the Bible or the Quran or whatever. If there is a god, uh, let it be uh, clear for myself which god proclaims the truth. Uh, and when I woke up, I felt very secure in a way. And I thought to myself, well, I think I' uh, gonna be
2: Muslim. And it took even a, a couple of weeks, and then I did Shah. Alhamdulillah, that's a, that's a, a really amazing story, actually, about how how you embrace islam i'm i often speak to converts or reverts to islam who they come to islam through uh, a, a a set of religious or existential questions which bring them to uh, the true spirituality and as you know we we refer to that as your fitra your your human disposition uh, to uh, to believe in god yeah. and and to want to believe in the truth uh, but also i find that uh, some converts not all of them some converts they find it very difficult to negotiate with their past so they may hold a series of concepts they may hold a series of customs and habits which uh you know it may be uh individual things like drinking and and you know how do we how do we uh get rid of this from our lives or so there may be uh broader things that uh, they have to negotiate now you were a member of a far-right party so you held a number of uh, a host of views, uh, which we could regard as being racist, racialized views, racist views, right? Uh, and you would have held uh, a series of views about justice and what is justice from a secular or from a religious uh, Protestant perspective that you held. How did you negotiate these ideas? How quickly were you able to, uh, to come to terms with some of the uh, perspectives you held, which were now... Alien to the Islamic notions of justice.
1: Um, well, um, as a, as a member in the of the of the Freedom Party, um, it wasn't that I embraced all the things. And of course, I was uh, I was a member and I was an MP. But like 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 everybody in all different uh, religious groups and even especially in political groups, you just adopt the program in a way. Mm-hmm. But you still have your personal views. Because when it came to, for example, sexuality, just like I told you uh, earlier, I wasn't 100% Freedom Party because I was much more conservative Mm. than they were. But I said, well, that's my collateral damage. (laughs) I said, well, I I accept that as long as we fight Islam, I don't care. Mm. By all means necessary, like Malcolm X once said. And it's, uh, that's, that's really how I thought. I don't, I don't care as long as we do it, uh, as long as we fight Islam. I can take a lot what I don't agree with in a, in a, in a way. Uh, so when it comes to a lot of moral issues, there weren't, for, for me personal. there weren't too many bumps. Uh, so I, I, I could perfectly um, have a good night with Muslims. Uh, and we will talk about yeah, the, the more the things of life, not so much politics, and that wouldn't be a problem back then. I didn't do that, of course, because I didn't know so many Muslims. <laughs> but uh, that would be that would be possible. But um, um, yeah, when it comes to other things like eating pork, stuff like that. I stopped eating pork when I was, I think, sixteen or seventeen, and that had to do with the fact that I got uh, pimples when I was eating. <laughs> so I had nothing to do with belize, but it made it easier later on. So, so no, but but the, the other yeah, really big things. The only thing that really um, changed uh, is that I, I became, I think, in a way softer. Really, yeah. My my heart was softened in a way because when you look at immigration, I think I still think that the whole. Uh, immigration policy in Europe isn't a policy that is that you can maintain in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you should look at, for example, Singapore. I think they have a it's like a balanced system. And in the Netherlands, and, and I think in a, a big part of Europe, the there is no balance anymore. So that's something. But. Um, now and perhaps it has to do with the fact that you became a father and older but also I, I noticed when I became a Muslim I became a little bit softer when you see little children as refugees of course you cannot say that you don't care because back then I also cared but I just don't, I didn't look at it I just thought okay it's a big problem immigration but now uh, and it's, uh, of course I'm not in politics in a, in, uh, anymore But but now you see the people and of course in a way you're Uma, so it's it's part of your community, also. So it, it, it changes your views in that it makes it more personal in a way. So it's more of the heart and not so much of the closed mind.
2: Maybe to, to finish off this conversation, um, I want to understand uh, a little bit more about the far right and how uh, how this challenge uh, is growing and how Muslims should respond to this challenge. I mean, you have someone who's got experience of this trend. Um do you think that the trend is on the rise and um how do we how do we address this?
1: Uh yeah that's a very complicated question of course. Um but uh, <laughs> uh yeah I think that uh, Abdul Hakim Murad he wrote a book it's called Travelling Home I think it's his latest book. Uh and yeah. there's one thing that I found uh, fascinating and I think it's true and it has to do with the fact that Muslims sometimes um don't really take pride in their religion so they say i'm a muslim but i don't live up to the word of muslim in a way and they don't act like muslim because and and i mean this in a positive way Um, you can be proud of who you are and especially when you're a muslim i think if you really believe that you have the truth the the absolute truth Mm -hmm. then you should be proud of the truth and you should be sharing that truth and you should show other people especially people who are not muslim why you think that they live a life that's not the truth so if you want to have them and you want to persuade them show them success in a way don't be a victim sometimes and that has to do with social economical factors as well of course but just be be the best you can be all the time, that will change people, their perception. I've, I've seen it here because a lot of people here thought, well, I see Muslims as uh, uh, nasty people, they do this and terrorists, etc. Until they start knowing Muslims and they see really Muslims that live up their life and they live like Muslims. They say, whoa, that's very impressive. I didn't know that you do that. I didn't know that. I didn't. You're very kind. You're warm persons. You're, you're caring for your neighbors, etc. And that changes people's, their perception. So I think, and that's just one thing. And of course, we don't have too much time. But the next conversation, that inshallah, we'll have will talk about this uh, a little bit more. But I think that the personal living of Islam is very important. And of course, there are a lot of people who call themselves Muslim, but they don't act like Muslims. On the contrary, even. And that influences people who only see what they see on the news and they don't know Islam. Because I always say people, uh, non-Muslims, they don't read Quran, they don't read Hadith, they read you. Hmm. They read you. And that's how, uh, how how the Indonesians, for example, became Muslim, Muslim back eh, way, uh, centuries ago, because they saw the behavior of the Muslims, the, the businessmen who visited uh, Indonesia. And they were so impressed by it that they said, we want what they have. And they became Muslim. So it's just the akhlaq in a way. It's very, yeah. very important.
2: Joram van Klaeren, I know you have to go. Jazakallah khair for your time today. It's, it's been a pleasure.
1: Likewise. And uh, like I said, uh, I hope we can have this uh, conversation again.